The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, it's the glorious return of Premier League football and we are back with you to pick out the juiciest and most scurrilous details. Some things have changed. Liverpool can't score. Joel Linton can score. And there are some suspiciously new-looking haircuts. Some things have not changed. Arsenal are in flux. Norwich look doomed. And Roy Keane remains livid. We'll take you through the opening round of games, plus look in on the Championship, where Leeds stuttered in Cardiff, but Brentford beat Fulham in the fourth-best West London derby. Plus, the latest from around Europe and the football figures who need to learn some humility. Let's take you now into a series of remote audio recording facilities where I'm joined. First up, by Matt Law. How are you, Matt? Good. We should have some fake noise going on in the background. Can we get some <laughs> fake... Some fake cheering or something for each of us, that'd be that, good. That would be great. We'd, I, like I mean, that. the problem with that is it didn't tend to happen when we were doing the podcast in the Telegraph office, but maybe that was an oversight. Maybe we should have Well, got... watching Villa yesterday, according to the fake noise, they were still getting cheered on and sung at 89 minutes despite losing and playing dreadfully. So <laughs> I don't think it's that realistic yeah, anyway. The fake crowd at QPR were also very tolerant of the fact that we'd lost to bottom <laughs> club Barnsley and played absolutely reprehensibly. Alongside Matt Law in virtual world is JJ Bull. How are you, JJ? Hello. Yes, I am here and good. How is everyone? Are they good. all good? Yes. Yeah, pretty well, thanks. Well, good. <laughs> yeah, marvellous. Completing our lineup. It's our old friend Mina Rizuki. What's happening, Mina? It kind of sounds a little bit awkward, doesn't it? <laughs> What are you talking about? It just seems it's, out of no. It's flowing. And also, I would like a theme tune. So it would be nice that when you introduced us, if there was like a particular song that can like highlight our brilliance or anything like that, you know? What would you choose? That, that's a can of worms. <laughs> well, back in the Did day, I would have used a Michael Jackson song, but I feel like that's inappropriate nowadays, you know? Yep. That's that's not a great move. Did I hear yesterday, Matt, when Villa scored their goal, they played a bit of Paranoid by Black Sabbath? Uh, you might have heard that. To be honest, I was probably cheering on in disbelief at home. I didn't pick it up myself, I've got to be honest. But they do like a bit of sort of heavy metal down Villa Park. Yeah, heavy rock. Yeah. It's either that or ELO, I guess, from Birmingham. Um, let's talk about the Premier League in general. We've had nine games so far since the great resumption. Have you all enjoyed it? Have you found the return of Premier League football a nourishing part of your lives over the past week or so? Uh, no, I, I think it's been great. I've really enjoyed watching it. Um, I don't. I really don't understand all the people on the internet. Well, I'm basically putting this into Twitter. Everyone's slagging it off, saying it's not the same. Like I really think the games aren't that hugely different to what they were before. Uh, I think you have to pay more attention to the actual football now that there's not so much else going on. And uh, that sort of belies a lot of what Premier League football actually is. I think the game's been entertaining. I think there's been... The, f- the first half's been maybe a little slow. But uh, yeah, I've been enjoying it a lot. And uh, one of the things I think is great for me watching... Is having like not having a crowd and being able to listen to the the sounds that the players are making and you can hear the stuff that the managers are shouting and you can like like we knew it would be a bit slower and a bit more um, tactical and you can really see that play out and for a, a bit of a nerd like me I've really enjoyed it. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. All, actually, are you watching these games with or without the artificial crowd noise on? I switch between. Uh, I've noticed the BT Sports um, use of it. Is a lot better, so it's a lot. Um, it seems a lot more realistic the way they use it than what I've seen on Sky Sports so far. I think their one just feels like you're you're watching it along with a FIFA 07 soundtrack, and it feels a bit. It doesn't quite uh, land for me, but um, yeah, I, I really like watching it without it. It just feels more real. Like I know there's no one there, so why would I need to pretend it? It's it's not a movie. Like I know it's really happening, and you're watching it there. I've switched between just when I have started to get a little bit drifting in, in a few games when when it's got a bit slow and a little bit nothing key, then I've tended 
to go back over to the crowd noise and it's it's weirdly helped me back into the game a little bit um even though i agree with jj's certainly on the sky one it, it's it's definitely not ideal or particularly realistic but i i find in the slower moments of the games it helps and then some of the games i've switched between it and you know when david louise started doing ridiculous things <laughs> against uh against man city I definitely I switched it off and, and switched to non because I was trying to hear whether he was getting absolutely killed by Arteta and and all his other teammates. So that I is think weird you can though when they put on fake noise for when there's like a Rami, like people come together and they're like whoa. Like so whoever's in charge of the soundboards putting on like they're they're dictating to you what people would think. That it's not genuine. Do you know what I mean? It, it kind of points out how not unnecessary fans are because clearly it's better with fans there. Like it, the noise is better, but it's so predictable you know exactly what's going to happen that you can easily replicate it i find something um, jarring about that but it's funny because there, every time there was an incident you know um like when it was david louise or like you know brighton arsenal mope and everything that's going on if i did have crowd noise on i would change it because it's like i needed to concentrate and the crowd noise was just irritating me because i couldn't hear what i wanted to hear so I thought that, that was really funny because I just feel like you can really concentrate on the game a lot better when you're not listening to all of that noise being put in. I, I just feel like I could concentrate a lot more on what it is they're trying to do. Um, so on that level, but th- there have been games where, I mean, that was entertaining because of David Louise in many ways, but it's just like watching Bournemouth. It's like pulling teeth, you know? <laughs> yeah, I didn't enjoy watching Bournemouth very much either. There's definitely been a few flat games. Um, the first one was pretty awful, Villa Sheffield United. Um, I suppose it's natural that it feels a little bit pre-season in parts, but maybe, as you said, JJ, on Twitter, a lot of this is just fairly typical of the Premier League, and when we take out the excitement of how it's normally presented on TV, some of it appears a little bit Emperor's New Clothes at times. Yeah, absolutely. Like So this, this kind of game, Sheffield United-Aston Villa... Like, oh, what a boring game to start off with. Both teams are playing for something. They're really going for it and they cannot afford to slip up. And they're obviously going to play quite tight. You look at the last round of games before the Premier League stopped, like Wolves-Brighton is like a similar sort of game, I would say. That was nil-nil. Sheffield United-Norwich City was a 1-0 win at Sheffield United. Like, and, and, and I read something about, um, I think it was Rory Smith wrote something about how people remember things in highlights. That's how you're... Preconditions, so you remember these games in the Premier League being amazing, full of actions. So that's what you expect, but actually, it's mostly nothing. And then there's one incident that happens that you tear apart that you get on like match of the day. So in this game, clearly, it was the uh, the goal that was definitely a goal that wasn't allowed, and that was what everyone talked about. But I really think that these games aren't hugely different to what actually happens in Premier League. Mostly, it's two teams of pretty similar standard players bashing into each other at halfway and nothing happens and it tends to be a mistake that decides them. Don't you think Sheffield United would do a lot more with the crowd behind them? Because I feel like they're a team that really sort of play to the energy and the vibe that's around them. So I just feel like they're a lot flatter um, and duller to watch. Obviously, this is it's really difficult to make sweeping uh, judgments on everything that's going on because this is also new. But there is a part of me that's a little bit like... There's a, some teams, and I feel like Sheffield United are one of them, that are going to be seriously affected by this because they need the energy to play well, and now they just look a little bit duller. Well, do you know what? See, with that exact example, I think if anything, Sheffield United went too much playing with um, like passionate energy. Aggressive. They didn't, they didn't get any of their little passing uh, triangles, anything, little pyramids going until about the 80th minute or something like that. They were they just kept overloading each wing and putting crosses in. It was boring. Like. I know you like Sheffield United a lot and they've done very well, but they're a mid-table team and they'll finish mid-table because that's what they're good at. But when they start doing the little passing patterns, that's when it's nice, but that's when they need to be focused and thinking about what they're doing rather than just going straight into it. I also love that everyone's going on about how Chris Wilder is this uh, tactical genius, but he's shouting like, Bashy, Bashy, Bashy! That's his tactical instructions from the side. <laughs> it's, it's exactly the same. I got a question on Twitter for someone saying, like, why are they all shouting, get out? Is that um, a tactical instruction? It's like, no, it's Sunday league. It's what you learn all the way through football. When you get a corner and you get it, you shout, like, get out, so you don't get caught. There's no, like, magical uh, coaching words. It's just that it's the same thing as Sunday league played by much better players. <laughs> hmm. Talking of Sunday league, what did you make of the Merseyside derby on Sunday, Matt? A bit of a stinker, it's fair to say. Yeah, I always, I actually always fancied it would be. I think the derbies are actually going to be the ones where 
um, the the new normal takes takes the biggest impact because you can't. I don't. You can't replicate the derby without a crowd. You just can't. So you're going to notice it more than ever. I think in, in those games. I mean, I'm at, I'm at Tottenham West Ham on Tuesday, and I'm actually expecting that to be a pretty flat flat game because you can't help but go to it or watch it, expecting all the fire of um, of a derby. And you just I just don't see how you can get that without without a crowd. I mean, having that that same level of aggression with no crowd and no one screaming at them, it would, would just be quite weird, I think. See, um, I, I enjoyed this game as well, and I thought there wasn't... I did not enjoy it. I did not enjoy it. Uh, just, just to carry on, I did not enjoy it. I just thought it's totally fair game for people to sort of... It, it didn't feel like a Merseyside derby. It felt like another match. Um, but I actually thought... I, I honestly thought at one stage that Ancelotti was going to look like some sort of genius at the end of it because it, it did look like he he played for this sort of try and hold them for 79 minutes and then and then catch them and go for Lovren and it nearly worked they had two or three really good they obviously hit the post and they had two or three really good chances at the end um, and I thought Everton did a very good job on Liverpool actually there's a template for, for kind of beating them or keeping them quiet now as well like with Atletico Madrid did it and Watford did it where you line up in a 4-4-2, but you defend with an extra man or two extra men along the last line of defence. So you block the fullbacks. And Ancelotti did it. So Watford did it with a back six. Became a 4-4-2 became a 6-3-1. And Ancelotti did it with a 4-4-2 becoming a, like a, a five and then maybe a three and a two. Uh, uh, yeah, but regardless, um, on how how they, they played, and they, I think there was a lot of ing- a lot of aggression in the game, but... Um, these players outside of like they all know each other. They're all kind of pals. They say they all live in similar uh, like cul-de-sacs and things like that. So I think maybe this the reason with the derby maybe not feeling quite as passionate would be without those fans because maybe players forget that they're actually pals with the person that they're going. Like, see, Richarlison kept having a little chat with Matip all the way through, and they were like going going at each other, but they were always being friends. And also, like these games tend to be tight anyway. Like the last game was a one 0 win Liverpool. There's a five two, which is kind of the anomaly. Then it was nil nil, one nil, nil nil. All really tight kind of games between these two teams. It's weird actually because I do think that it's it was not an advantage, but I don't think it was a disadvantage for Everton to not have a crowd. I think that when you are a, a, a club that's under new management and you're under new tactics and things are changing on what you're supposed to do and what your instructions are for the team, it helps when you can concentrate on and, and be disciplined. And that requires perhaps um, less of the emotional feelings that you might feel with a crowd sort of like on your back at the whole time um, or trying to push you further or trying to get you to get stuck in or whatever it is. I felt like this was a very mature performance by Everton. It was very much like we're going to keep our position. We're going to hold our line. We have these two two men in midfield who's gonna, who are going to patrol the back line. And Carlo Ancelotti, it's like his life has revolved a lot around Liverpool. It's one of the teams that he's always confessed to having studied the most obviously because of what happened um, in the Champions League final in 2005 it became his mission to do to to defeat them afterwards which they managed to and then when you look at what he managed at Napoli as well and and now it's like he's always identified where the weaknesses are where he can cut them and take away the pace when it comes to a club side and when you are a side like Liverpool that is obviously without Salah and Andy Robertson and and the pitch width and and you're not getting the momentum carrying you whether that's bad momentum you know because people are shouting at you and you want to prove you, them wrong or the good momentum of Anfield whatever that may be they're a side that react a lot because they're an elite club and elite clubs know exactly how to go with the energy and the vibes and so I think that on this occasion, maybe Everton being able to listen to the instructions and adapt to it without getting any sort of anything dragging them away on that level worked out to their benefit, even if it was a nil-nil. This result does raise the enticing possibility of uh, which weird empty stadium Liverpool are going to win the title in now. Uh, Presumably they are slightly disappointed that it won't be Anfield if Manchester City beat Burnley on Monday night. Um, you don't believe uh, in Sean Dyche? Uh, well, let's let's wait and see, Mina. Uh, maybe, is there a way to edit this podcast so that I can get it right uh, after that result's finished? I don't know. We'll have to ask Joel Gray.
one team who certainly won't be winning the title anytime soon is Arsenal. Premier League had only been back for four days and they'd already managed to lose twice, both quite badly. What is going on with them at the moment? I feel a little bit sorry for them, um, which I, I don't say often about Arsenal because I... I'm usually very, very harsh on them and critical of them, but <laughs> everything that could have gone wrong sort of has gone wrong, um, all in a very short space of time. You know, losing Mari and Xhaka very early on in that game. Um, David Luiz taking David Luiz levels to to the absolute max. And uh, and then Bernd Leno, who's been their, their best player. And we, we sort of hear that maybe there's been issues in the background in the week leading up to the uh, the restart in terms of uh, players thought they had some positive COVID tests when, in actual fact, um, they then were retested and they came back negative, so it affected training. Um, Gary Neville was making a big thing on Sky about their their travel plans to Manchester, but I think they were finding it difficult to find accommodation. So I'm not trying to make excuses for them because I don't, I don't ever really try to find excuses for Arsenal because I think they bring so much of it on themselves. But um, a lot of what has gone wrong, you know, They've had an awful lot of bad luck. Mikel Arteta will be wondering quite what he did during lockdown to deserve some of the, the luck they've had so far. Can I, I also think that, I don't know if you guys watched The Last Dance. Um, and obviously oh, one yeah. Of the, <laughs> on Netflix, wasn't it just amazing? I'm going to be referring to it a lot for the next three years. But, you know, when obviously there was this point where Jerry Krause was famously said, you know, um, players and coaches don't win championships, organisations do. And while I obviously, you know, he was ripped apart for it, but a good organization is required in order to, to, to create a dynasty or a winning mentality or whatever it may be. And when you look at what Arteta is having to deal with and how many contracts are up and how many people don't know where their future lies from David Luiz to Ceballos to Aubameyang to Saka to, you know, whether they have 12 months left or just a few weeks left on their contract. It, it's a very, it creates for an, a very odd system and, and, an, and an odd environment because these players don't seem very like they don't really know what's going on and I think when he came when he first arrived Mikel Arteta it was all this momentum he had a plan he had an idea and they started you know you could see that coming into action so the players were excited to come into training players were excited to show what was going to happen the future was still unknown it was it, it seemed still far away but now it's like after quarantine, there is a little bit of lethargy. It's like, oh, no, we're back. You know, this whole thing. We don't know what's going to happen. Now we have to start again with this new guy who's trying to get us to learn these things. And obviously on a mental level, I feel like it's a bit of a downer. So it's going to be hard for them to pick up and show us and get us excited again like we were before all of this happened. To take the Jerry Krause Chicago Bulls analogy and run with it, they potentially do have a Michael Jordan figure at Arsenal, or at least they would have thought so when they signed him in Meza Ozil. How have they got to a point where he's not even getting in the matchday squad? Yeah, that's, I mean, that is such a, Ozil is such a problem. It's such a sort of millstone on their backs now because they're damned if they do and they're damned with it, if they don't with him now. Um, because if he comes back and plays and doesn't give a sort of 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10 performance, then that becomes a domineering uh, issue for them again in that everybody just talks and talks about that and debates and debates it. I, I just think that Arteta's looked at it and felt that, that moving forward is clearly not going to be in his plans. Whether he can move him out of the club's another matter, but he, he doesn't want him there. You know, and he's not the first manager. He's, he's now about, you know, Wenger had, had kind of lost patience with him. Unai Emery clearly didn't fancy him. So Arteta's not out on a limb here. There's obviously things going on in training, or not going on in training, should I say, and conversations that are had that aren't particularly impressive, whereby managers decide that uh, they can't count on him. Just finally on Arsenal, JJ, did you think Neil Mopé did anything wrong in the challenge which injured Bernd Leno? No. He was, if you watch him, he's just running, the ball's going, he has, he has to bounce to go for the ball. Because if he doesn't, you get called out for worsen out and not going in for the challenge. He doesn't actually challenge the goalkeeper. He's bouncing to get the to get the ball. He knows keeper is coming. He positions himself such a way that he bounces off him, and then Leno line, lands in a horrible way, and it's uh, really unfortunate. I don't think I don't think uh, that Maupi has has pushed him, or like, he's definitely not going to put any harm on him. Definitely not. Not that he would ever admit that anyway. 
But you can see, he's just, I mean, it happens all of the time. These things happen all of the time where you bounce into a player because you just know they are going to um, you know, push you back so you're not going to have to keep running. It's uh, Yeah, nothing wrong with it. I think also I, I loved what he was saying post-match about how some of the players need to learn humility. And I think you can look at that Arsenal team and uh, the problem that Arteta's got is not... Like, he's got some talented uh, football players, but their problem, as it has been for a long time, is the mentality, and it's going to take so long to build that. And I think uh, Mina's point on how the organisation is the strongest as a whole, you need that to be strong for it all to work, is so key here, because the whole thing is all... It feels in transition, and it takes about maybe 18 months for a manager to really have, have their say and make things happen. And if Arteta now doesn't have really the money to move player or just the ability to move players out like us on all this, then they're not going to be able to get rid of players like, um, like you don't want to get rid of Gwen, rid of Gwen Doozy because he's clearly got a bit of talent and a lot of potential, but he, the way he's going about like putting sly little punches onto, to Moppy from kickoff and things like that, it's pathetic. If he was really this hard man and he's really trying to like avenge his mate, he should have been going in with tackles and like affecting the game rather than, hitting the occasional pass and like they get stuck in in the actual game like try and raise the rest of your team around you it's so it's so like uh, like needly just floating around the areas of it and then like boasting about oh we're winning now like I'm I'm really glad Brighton won that because it's the kind of kick up the arse that a lot of those players needed I think Go beyond the headlines with The Telegraph's coronavirus podcast. One story, one leading Telegraph journalist and 10 minutes of analysis on how the key issues affect your life. From why your children aren't back at school to the likelihood of a second wave. Search coronavirus the latest on your podcast app. Another team who might need big changes that might not be able to make them are Tottenham Hotspur. They played Man United on Friday night, uh, a game somehow dominated by Roy Keane in the Sky Studio, who um, just shouted at everyone at half-time, but it seemed to do the job. Man United a lot better in the second half. We had the exciting sight, Mina, of Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba playing competitively for the first time together for United. Uh, looked brilliant for about 10 minutes, and then Spurs seemed to do quite a good job on neutralising them after that. But was there enough in that tandem to make you think that this is going to be the big difference for United, that midfield duo? Can I just say that Roy Keane totally made my night. <laughs> um, I love the hair as well. <laughs> he's there and just the, the shocked face that he has. Um, I just, I don't know why, but everything that he says just, and also Patrice ever reacting and being, no, no, you're being so harsh. Um, it was just really funny to see this. But yeah, I think there was a lot to take that was very good. I, I felt really, I felt a little bit sorry for David De Gea. I feel a little bit sorry for him and have done for quite a while now. I think that when you pull off like, do you remember that game against Arsenal in like 2017 when he made like 13 or 14 saves? I think that's what you remember him for. And he's not someone who's, you know, great with his feet. So you, you need him to be this shot stopper. Can I just say, do you remember last week when I said to you there was a player I forgot and that was Harry Maguire? That performance, he was better off being forgotten. Um, but, <laughs> when it, but when it came to Fernandez and Paul Pogba, it is their first game. I mean, Fernandez plays with this kind of confidence where he's not like, oh, this is Manchester United, I'm playing in the Premier League, this is huge, these are huge matches. He just comes in, he has the confidence of just doing everything um, really well, really good at doing the simple things, really good at complicating things. He's just um, really such a, a a good player to have for Manchester United and it's still the very beginning so again no sweeping judgments and and it's very difficult because Mourinho knows and his side is always going to be that bit more defensive and understands what it is that they need to break down on creative levels but I think that we have a lot to be excited about I think this is just something that's just going to grow and grow and Pogba I mean he only came on for, like when he came on you could instantly see how elevated from a creative level they were despite the fact that they had Bruno Fernandes and so I feel like this team can only go up but again I know I'm not as confident as JJ when it comes to Solskjaer Fernandez, just the model of professionalism, it seems as well. Like I love this post-match interview, and you would love it if he was your player. I think because it was all about the team, and he was talking about how he likes the pressure of penalties and likes the fans shouting at him. So it didn't matter uh, that that it was behind closed doors. Like he just, he, I, I would absolutely love him if I was a Man United fan. Isn't what about Chelsea? Sorry, but isn't that copy and paste Ronaldo? I feel like that's exactly how Ronaldo speaks as well. <laughs> 
Well, exactly. You'd be delighted if he played for your team as well. Um, oh, certainly, you would have been in the Man United days. What about Chelsea, Matt? Arguably had the best lockdown because uh, players returned from injury and some sev- several exciting signings in the offing for them as well. Did they look good against your club, Villa, on Sunday? I thought they played quite well, yeah. Um, obviously, there was, there was some of the old problems still there in that there was a lot of possession and um, they weren't making loads and loads of chances, weirdly. Uh, I think Villa had more shots on target in the game. Um, but I thought there were, there were some good signs there. Kante um, was back into the centre of the midfield three, and I thought he was very, very good, considering what we know has gone on with Kante uh, during the lockdown in terms of his fears and his delayed return. I thought Mason Mount was outstanding. Um, I, thought, I thought they looked good, and I thought... It was a big win for them because the weekend, other than Wolves, the fixtures went heavily in their favour. Um, and they'd also finished the pre-lockdown well and needed to get some momentum going again after, after their momentum was cut off. So I thought it was a really big weekend for them and, and should set them up now. I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised now if they didn't finish top four. I can almost see them chasing down Leicester as well. Um, they will get better, I think. I think they're... I think Lampard had been worried a little bit about the fitness. I think he thought they were going to be behind a few few teams um, because they've got quite a few players coming back from from some big injuries who hadn't played much pre-lockdown. So I think he believes they will get better and stronger. I, I thought they looked good, yeah. Good weekend too for our old favourite Joel Linton. His second ever Newcastle League goal in their 3-0 win uh, over Sheffield United on Sunday. Have we, JJ, skipped now into his brilliant second season redemption story, despite it still being his first season? Uh, no, he's... The thing with Joel, Joel Linton, whatever you call him, right, is that he's not he's not a prolific goal scorer. never has been. He's a player that can help you in the, with a counter-attack system because he can hold the ball up quite well and he, he likes to run in behind. I went through all, this morning I went through all his goals he scored at, um, at Hoffenheim and they're mostly kind of, the ball drops to him off the back of us. It's a second ball that drops or there's a little mistake by someone, he takes a touch and then he finishes it. He's not amazing at finishing. Uh, he's not, like, he's, he's a good team player but he needs to have others around him that do a lot of the work. They, like Steve Bruce has said, they've worked with him and they've tried to get him into the box. And the, the goal he scored was a poacher's goal. I think people slagging him off for missing that chance is extraordinarily harsh. Like you had one first, Charleston against Liverpool. Chance. Yeah, the first half chance. So he runs through, right? So the ball's the ball's through. He's running. He's not fast enough to get away from defenders coming across to him. The problem is that his first touch um, takes him a certain direction, and in order to curl it to the top corner, he'd have to take a step to his left wide to take the shot. If he did, the defender would come in and uh, and slide in, and he ends up hitting it with his like the side of his foot, foot towards his heel rather than the top half of his foot, which is what you'd want to get the curl on it. And uh, but there's a similar finish that he has um, for Hoffenheim, where rather than trying to curl it side of his foot, which is the best option because that's where the most space is space is to the goalkeeper. He just sort of puts it on the outside of his right foot and slots it beneath the goalkeeper. And he scores that one. But here you'd think he'd probably take it on his left foot. But a striker who knows that everyone's watching him, who must be really kind of dipping in confidence at the moment, you just don't take that on on your weaker foot. You rely on what you know best. And what he knows best is his right foot. He's quite one-footed. So, yeah, I think that was really harsh. I think he's going to be fine. But I cannot see from all I've looked at, I've looked at... um, I, like I've watched him play. I've gone through his old statistics. I've looked at his like profile on video games. I do not see where Newcastle got a forty million valuation and and paid it for it. <laughs> I, I I don't think there's any need to slag him off and, and write him off. I think he's doing exactly what he should be doing from what we've seen of him. Let's move on to the relegation battle. It was a huge win for Crystal Palace on Saturday. A lovely free kick from Milivojevic, but pretty disastrous for Bournemouth Mina. There was a lot of pre-game talk that they had the fully fit squad. Brooks was back, but they were really, really good to me. I mean, this is the thing. And you kind of feel sorry as well because of Ryan Fraser losing him. That's kind of huge for them. And yeah, I, did, I didn't have big... I thought that this was going to be great for them because you know it's almost like you could forget everything that happened, get back into this game, and really show what's happening. 
And I, it was almost like they were still at home baking banana bread or whatever was going on that you did in lockdown because there wasn't a team playing. It was like Crystal Palace looked to be in, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog mode where it looked like they were really fast. They weren't, obviously, but they were just obviously up for a game of football. They were running faster. They were more fluid. They were more energetic. They were looking for their right cuts in and... And you just felt like Bournemouth were like, oh, wait, wait, just what happened? You know, is this really going to be, a? are we really playing this game at this high level again? You know, it was almost like they came in for a holiday and were shocked by the fact that people were, were going to play this game of football. And I, it looked really bizarre watching it. I mean, like, it was so dull. It was so dull. And when you look at the fact that they do have some of their players back, like, you know, their best of players back and... You are fighting relegation. This is hugely important for you. The motivation should be sky high at the moment. And you're not exactly facing, you know, uh, Liverpool or Manchester City or even a Chelsea side. This should be a team that you could at least try to present a challenge for. So I was really shocked by that, to be honest. And it just makes me think that if they don't even have a crowd that's pushing them on in the vitality, it really is now all down to Eddie Howe. It's almost like he's like the only guy who's going to be there having to beat the drum for motivation. And so... What's going to happen now? Because we know they're not a great away from home. We know that they don't actually have to deal with away fans. But with that kind of performance at home when they're supposed to be saving off relegation, I don't know. I'd be seriously worried. Yeah, really horrible run coming up for them as well. Wolves, Man United, Spurs, Leicester and Man City still to play for Bournemouth. What about Villa, Matt? Two home games for them. One goal, one point. How worried are you about them? Probably about the same as I was before. I do think they'll probably go down. Um, I don't think it's been a disastrous restart because, you know, they're, they're just in pretty much the same position as, as when they restarted. They've not lost any ground. Um, in fact, they've made a point on, on Bournemouth and West Ham, so they can argue that. Look, the, the Chelsea game was pretty dispiriting, but I didn't expect an awful lot else, if I'm honest with you. There was no reason to expect anything else. I think any other part of the season, actually, that... The way they set up against Chelsea, you'd be kind of saying fair play to them. They they nearly nick something. Um, but we're at a stage of the season now where they've got bad fixtures. They've got to do a little bit more than that. And they go to Newcastle on Wednesday, which given the rest of their fixtures, um, Newcastle has become a must win for them. When you look at who else they've got to play and whether they're going to have any chance of getting out of it, they'll have to beat Newcastle on Wednesday, which I don't see them doing. Um, so I think they're in real... I think they're in real problems. Their only hope with that Newcastle game is Newcastle face Man City in the FA Cup a few days later, and now they're safe in the league. We can only pray that their uh, their focus gets taken somewhat, but I think that's um, clutching at straws, to be honest with you. Especially now that St. Maximin's got his goal and now he's raring to go. I feel like they're a dangerous team now coming forward. Yeah, the emerging superpower in the northeast. What about West Ham, JJ? They were seen off pretty easily by Wolves. Uh, they were one of the first Premier League clubs to call for the season to be made null and void. You can see why, can't you? There's a real chance that West Ham will uh, will be in trouble at the end of the year on this evidence. Yeah, they're one of these clubs again in transition. They, I think they've tried to go and be high quality, kind of fancy football far too quickly, and they didn't have the foundations in place already. Um, Wolves have a clear identity in how they play. They've got uh, really good players that work well as a team. I still feel like West Ham's a bunch of individuals on the, on the pitch and I don't know what their best starting 11 is. Like They've got decent players. When you look at... I mean... like The midfield is Noble and, and Suchek and I don't know if that's really good enough to try and play an attacking, attacking shape. They went with... Uh, yeah, like I say, it's all, it's all kind of mentality, right? So regardless of the players they've got on the pitch, they're, they're, just, they're missing something in that team that is going to hold them back and I don't know if the answer is in transfers they've already made a heap of, heap of signings in the last few few windows I don't know they just suit being a more defensive team for a while until they can add real quality it's so difficult to to work it out I don't know if um, Pellegrini I, I still think them. I think they'll get out of it I mean I, I look that that Wolves result I thought was a bad result actually because I just thought catching Wolves on their first game back might give them an opportunity to nick a draw or something. Um, so that's a bad result for them. But I do think they've, they've got enough fixtures. You know, they play play Newcastle, Burnley, Norwich, Watford in a little run um, once they've played Tottenham and Chelsea. And I would still expect them just to get out. But 
it does look, it's starting to look, look bright. Brighton's result probably leaves them one win and a draw short of being safe, I, I would expect. Um, Watford, I just think, off battle about them. So I do think it's probably going to end up going fairly close to the wire between Villa, Bournemouth and West Ham. Um, but I, I personally is, think West Ham will just have a little bit too much. The good thing is for those teams you mentioned, Matt, that only two of them can go down because there's Norwich, of course, who I'm really struggling to remember a more flimsy and lightweight looking Premier League side than Norwich. I'm really shocked by that Norwich result because I saw Norwich a lot just before lockdown and they'd hit a real patch of form. They were excellent beating Leicester at home, which was a game I was at. They were very good in the cup against Tottenham and they looked ready to give it a go. And I really, really thought they've, they've got a fixture list that you would look at and go, OK, they might not stay up here, but they, they can give this a go with that fixtures. And I really expected them to, to come out and have a go at Southampton and get something against Southampton. I didn't expect them to stay up, but that, that's an awful, awful result for them and knocks the stuffing out of them immediately. Um, and probably pretty much finishes it for them. I'm, I was really, really surprised at that result. And, and a bit like, I mean, I, I didn't get around to saying it on before, but whereas Harry Kane looked out of shape to me um, against Man United, um, Pookie, Pookie looks like he's been on holiday for three months. Pookie looked <laughs> awful. He looked in terrible condition. So I, d I don't know what's happened there, but that, that's got to be a massive worry for them. And I thought some of the kids who've looked so good pre-lockdown, maybe... Certainly when they want 1-0 down and I saw Cantwell on the bench, I got a feeling of, I just got a feeling looking at Cantwell of he looked like a player who knew he'd be okay, whereas the club are going to go down because he's going to end up leaving. Yeah, he's going to be quite high up on several shopping lists this summer, I'd expect. Should we talk a little bit about the returning championship? Uh, Leeds United had their blip, it seemed, in January, February. Then they went on a five-game winning run without conceding a goal before we shut everything down. Nevertheless, on Sunday, they went to Cardiff and lost 2-0. Surely Leeds are not going to blow it again, are they? We can only hope. We can only hope <laughs> and pray that, that they that, do blow it again. That game is one of those classics. Uh, like, like Cardiff had two shots on target and they won it 2-0. Right. Uh, Leeds had 69% uh, of possession, Leeds played it like a Premier League. I watched this this morning. Leeds played like a Premier League team, like really confident, passing it about, maybe lack, lacking something in the final third. But Cardiff were all set up to absorb and punt it long, and they they took advantage of a couple of mistakes. Scored both. Both were like decent, decent long shots. Um, the second one particularly beat the goalkeeper at the near post, and uh, I th I would think Leeds should be fine. But the problem would be if they've approached this as though they've already gone up, and you have to make sure that they. No, that's not the case. But like on any, on any given Sunday, they would have uh, normally beaten this Cardiff team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good news for them in that the team in third lost. Uh, the bad news for them was that it was the team in fourth that beat them. It was a huge win for Brentford, who saw off Fulham 2-0. Uh, Saeed Benrahma starred for Brentford. You've written about him this week, Matt. Which clubs are looking at him and what sort of player is he? There's a lot. I'm told there's there's, there's eight top uh, Premier League clubs looking at him. I don't know all eight, but certainly Chelsea have scouted him. But Arsenal uh, uh, are switched on to him. He, he did very well against them in a pre-season pre friendly, in one of the friendlies before the lock, after the lockdown. Um, West Ham, uh, Tottenham, I think, are looking at him. Leicester City are looking at him. If Brentford don't go up, he'll, he'll for sure move. If Brentford go up, I think he might stay... And, and have a season with them and then go after that. But he's a very, very exciting player. Uh, I think that was his 11th goal of the season um, at the weekend. He's got a similar amount of assists. I think he's maybe got 10 assists now. And he's, he's just got that, that quality about him that you don't see very often. He's, he's very brave in terms of taking players on, using tricks. I think earlier on in his career, when he first came to England, he was a bit inconsistent, but he's... He's cut that out of his game now. He's pretty consistent. And look, he's at no way this level, but he, he does remind you a little bit of Hazard. He wears the number 10. He'll start out on the left, but drift all the way across the front three. And he loves a trick like Hazard. He's not lightning quick like, like Hazard wasn't lightning quick. He relies on tricks and skill. And 
he looks he when you go through the players who have who've come from the championship and, and succeeded Harvey Barnes Jack Grealish James Madison um, Daniel James his stats are up there in the championship with all of their what what their stats were in the championship so everything suggests he can he can make the step up yeah, latest off that impressive Brentford production line, potentially. The real interest for me in the Championship is down at the bottom. There are six teams within three points of each other down there. Luton looking pretty doomed. Hull City finding out the selling all your best players in January tends to make things a bit harder. Middlesbrough in trouble. Lost 3-0 home to Swansea on Saturday. Um is that enough, do you think, to get people interested in watching what remains of the championship season? It does seem to me, JJ, that it's it's struggling for attention more than usual uh, compared to the Premier League. Do people realise it's back, do you think, even? Uh, I mean, I think people who support the clubs will watch it. But... <laughs> You'd hope so. <laughs> uh, it's, that's kind of difficult to answer because... like. There is a lot of football to choose from. There are great Premier League games on. If you're going to choose a game to watch, you're going to watch the highest quality one, I would have thought. I certainly would rather watch Premier League games than the Championship ones, and that's what I mean, I'll be doing. So, yeah, I'm sure the people who support their teams will be watching. I think that's the problem. You've, you've now got one or two Premier League games on every single day or night, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. Um, whereas before, in, in sort of normal times, the Championship often will we'll fill fill in the gaps, as it were. You know, you'll have championship games on telly on a Tuesday night, maybe when you haven't got any Premier League games on. You'll have championship games on a Friday night when you haven't got any Premier League games on. And they it almost fills in the gaps. Um, and the sort of... The, the, the viewers who are the non-fans and the people who get excited towards the end of the season by it are those who, who are watching it while they're not watching Premier League football. Um, and now there's so much Premier League football football to watch on the telly I think that's where it it condenses the space but albeit I mean again it's a brilliant brilliant league I mean just to get in the playoffs as well you can go all the way down Derby in 12th will be thinking they've still got an outside chance they're three points off the playoffs and they're in 12th um, and they've won their last three games and then as you say the relegation battle I thought there was a really interesting point from the weekend actually in the, in the EFL because Charlton, who would have done points per game scenario like like we were talking about had happened in League One and League Two, Charlton would have been relegated before this weekend. They've won one match and they're now uh, three places outside the relegation zone, which just kind of shows you the, the, the folly and the, the pointlessness of, of points per game, really. Um, but it's a really exciting division. I hope people do watch it because I've always... I, I really have a soft spot for the championship and it's probably a good job because Villa are going to end up again next <laughs> season. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a knockabout quality that you don't always get in the top flight. Let's have some lovely music and a song for Europe with Mina Rizuki. <laughs> Mina in Germany, Bayern Munich claims the title on Tuesday. Shock horror! Their eighth title in a row. Uh, we could talk about how they do it, but um, what I'm more interested with Bayern Munich is how other teams can possibly stop them from doing it. Surely we need a break from Bayern winning the league every year now. Yeah, I mean, if there was ever a time to try to really challenge them was the season, right? Because, I mean, by the 1st of December, they were fourth in the table. They had problems. They had Nico Kovac. They had injuries. They had... Um, Müller, who was out the side because Kovac didn't seem to like him very much. Um, but Bayern has a collection of very experienced players. They are a side that are very good at mixing them. And they got really lucky with Hansi Flick. He's been exceptional, really. Came in after what Kovac produced, turned it all around, got them to you know rediscover their identity. But then you look at Borussia Dortmund. And they have this amazing squad and you're like, wow, they can seriously challenge. They can really do something interesting. But the problem with Dortmund is that if an offer comes in for Jadon Sancho, that's 120 million, whatever it is, they can't afford to keep these great players. Whereas Bayern Munich can consistently identify wonderful players that they can add on to their squad, which is a luxury that um, others don't have. You know, when you've got Julian Nagelsmann saying, you know, we've got to be really careful about our accounting this season. Um, you know, whether it's RB Leipzig, whether it's any other side, it's very difficult to keep up because Bayern Munich as a financial entity do so well. So they can always spend well. 
um, to ensure that the team is consistently balanced. And it really helps when Lewandowski seems to have given up on the fact that Real Madrid is never going to happen. And he can really focus all his, all his energy on Bayern because this season he's been above and beyond anything because I would have ever expected. He's always been a very good number nine. Don't get me wrong. But there's always been sort of question marks sometimes in certain games. Um, but this time around, it's like he's a Ballon d'Or contender, you know, contender. He's just been on another level and he's so devoted to Bayern. And it's not about, oh, get me the assist and let me score the goals. He's all around trying to help the team now. Erling Haaland surely is our Luke Skywalker. He's our only hope of anything different happening in Germany. Two more goals for him this weekend. Still looking absolutely brilliant. Meanwhile, over in Spain, it was a nervy 1-0 win for Atletico Madrid to keep the all-important Champions League spot. How crucial is it for them, Mina, that they finish in the top four? Oh, absolutely. I mean, their finances already stretched. This was even before quarantine, let alone now with all the things that have happened. It is, it's just not even within their budget to not finish in their top four. And it's been, for a side that really needed to do that, I, I guess maybe they just really believed in Jao Felix, but they did a lot of changes over the summer. Obviously, they let go of Antoine Griezmann because he decided to join Barcelona. They they lost Diego Godin. Um, they lost really big players. And so for them, it was like a huge turnaround and this was always going to be a difficult season because it's like you know it's like trying to do Real Madrid without Ronaldo is exactly the same thing for them and Morata and Diego Costa can't really offer the kind of consistency now Jao Felix when he does play well he really elevates their level at the moment and you can see that coming through they're perhaps not as defensively strong as usual but you know they did a job over Liverpool right in the Champions League but they also scored five goals in the game previous to this one. When you're looking at everything that's going around, I mean, Sevilla are certainly uh, pushing to be in the top four. But I do think that they will manage it because I think they have enough there that can keep out the competition. But it is absolutely necessary. And I, and I think Simeone will take this as a personal challenge. Meanwhile, Serie A has returned in Italy. What's the reaction been like there, Mina? It was, it was quite a fun weekend. Atalanta smashing Sassuolo. Uh, Hellas Verona pushing for a Europa League uh, place as well. Yeah, Hellas Verona really are doing a lot, uh, a lot this season. Who have just just been amazing for them. Uh, when it comes to Serie A, I think everyone's just super excited about the title challenge because there is actually one. Um, and Antonio Conte obviously started in the best way possible. Still a side that's incapable of really making the most of all their chances. It still got a bit nervy. It's like they came in, they were stunning to watch in the first half. Lukaku gets a goal, Lautaro Martinez gets a goal, and you're thinking, oh my God, this side is going to steamroll Sampdoria. Sampdoria, by the way, were really hard hit by Corona. A lot of their players at the time had tested positive and members of staff as well. And then, you know, second half starts, they start missing lots of their chances yet again. And, you know, you've got all these problems with them not getting a little bit nervous when they concede a goal as they did. And so, but then we've still got Lazio coming up. We've got Juventus coming up. And I think that's the one that's going to really spark joy because these games over the weekend were the ones that they had to make up so that now everyone's played on level terms and as many games. But this is where it gets interesting because now we see who's going to really try to push for a top four place, who's going to win between Juventus and Lazio. And considering how hideously poor Juve have been so far, there's every reason to believe in Lazio. Love the uh, Marie Kondo reference there, Mina. So which football team is going to spark joy? It should, uh, <laughs> should be words to live by for all of us for what remains of the football this season. Let's finish up by a question we put to our friends on social media, which was after Neil Mopé's comments about the Arsenal side. Who else in football most needs to learn some humility? We had a lot of responses to this this week. Sam, who's an Arsenal fan, says Neil Mopé. Gary says Mike Dean. And Stuart says Ben Thatcher's elbow. Nice modern reference for our younger listeners. Who have you got, Matt? I'm struggling with this. Uh, Jose is the obvious one, clearly. Um, but nothing for he's done recently, although he couldn't help but try and um, claim that Bruno Fernandes should have been yellow-carded for, for diving, which I thought was a bit harsh. But Jose was the obvious one that struck me. But this is almost a related point that I've not had a chance to make in, in the previous, and I'm going to use this as a way of making this point, even though it doesn't really answer your question. Please do. Not, there's a lot of good hairstyles going on in the Premier League for, play, for people <laughs> who aren't allowed to use hairdressers, aren't they? 
So there's not much humility about people's willingness to accept bad hair in in the Premier League because either there's a lot of good hairdressers within within those squads who can do each other's hair, or um, I'm going to have to sort of make allegations that some of them have broken a few lockdown conditions to get them because their hair's too good. Other than in the Championship of Alexandra Mitrovic, who sported a wonderful lockdown barnet, if anybody saw it, against uh, against Brentford. Now talk us through it. Well, it just um, very Eastern European. <laughs> was it a mullet? Now, very straight, lots of straight lines. It wasn't quite a mullet, uh, more like a sort of bowl cut. I mean, he just he clearly hasn't touched it, which I, I want to applaud him for. Yeah, good for him. Good for him. How about you, JJ? Who needs to learn some humility? I'm not sure if the word humility applies to it, but football fans who just football fans who who uh, especially ones on twitter who blindly follow everything their club does or blindly defend everything their club does or what players do and don't accept that sometimes they are who are the worst ones name names who are the worst oh. twitter fans oh Come god on. there's there's going to be just say the club members of all of them i don't know there's all no so, uh, unacceptable yeah. bigger bigger say the club you're thinking of clubs you're thinking of clubs <laughs> say them Genuinely, I'm just tired of seeing people who put anything on Twitter or just everyone, anyone you talk to who supports a club, not one particular club, tends to just You mean blindly... Man City, Liverpool and Arsenal. <laughs> That's what I'm <laughs> saying. <laughs> clip that out. Those Joel, Celtic Joel, clip that Rangers. out. <laughs> <laughs> like, all these, all clubs like that. Like, any big, any big four, well, big six now, I think, any club, just people with loads of teenagers who follow them. Uh, just need to learn a little humility. A fine politician's answer. What about you, Mina? Um, Dejan Lovren <laughs> isn't what. Oh, great shout. I don't know why he just rubs it the wrong way. Some of the things he says, like, I showed that I took Liverpool to the Champions League final and now with my national team we're on the final. This is after, obviously, um, the World Cup. And you're just like, you're not the one that took them to the Champions League final. <laughs> this isn't on your back that you carried them, Messi. You know, like, dude, like, the team carried you there. You got so lucky that you're playing for the side, you know? That's what we want. I just want personal axes being ground here. Uh, don't, Dejan Lovren rubs you up the wrong way. It's good enough for me. That's all for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before next week's episode. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Send us an email too if you like. If you've got a question for the panel, we'll put it to them. You can get in touch at afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Subscribe to the podcast. Why not? Treat yourself. It's summer. Look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.